everybody. Welcome back to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. I'm your host, Carrie Parker, and today is episode 203, airing on January 18th, 2021, and it's the big reveal. This is the episode where I tell you who won the big giveaway, but we're not going to do that until after today's second part of the interview with Helen Horseman Allen. And you want to know why? Because even I don't know who won yet. So, so here's a little peek behind the curtain of the production process of this podcast. I'm recording this portion on Saturday. And the winners will be chosen on Sunday. So I'm going to come back tomorrow once I've once the contest is over and all the winners have been chosen by me through the little random thing that Rafflecopter does. Or I just click a button, it gives me the next winner. Uh, and I will pick all 10 winners tomorrow and then uh, I will announce them at the end of this show. So stay tuned to the end of the interview when we'll both find out who all 10 winners are of the big contest. And by the way, if you actually find this kind of behind-the-scenes stuff interesting... Uh, stay tuned. I've got some interesting stuff coming up for my patrons. I think I'm going to make a little kind of a making of video uh, that I'm going to share with my patrons in the near future. I've got even more cool stuff too, so uh, stay tuned for more information on that. So last week we had part one of our interview with Helen Horseman Allen from the CEO of Fastmail. And uh, if you didn't hear that, obviously you should go back and check that out for sure. And the contest started with the big 200th episode of the podcast. And if you missed that one, that is definitely one you'll want to go back and listen to. Of course, if you just subscribe, you'll automatically get them all every week. But last week, we, we uh, started approaching the subject of what it really means to be private in general and, and what a privacy-respecting email provider might do. We're going to dig into that more today, and we're going to talk about maybe some thornier aspects of that, where we talk about government surveillance and corporate surveillance and how we can really trust, how we know we can trust these people when they say they're doing X, Y, and Z for our privacy. But then we'll also get to some of the nuts and bolts, like, you know, let's say, you know, I've convinced you or we've convinced you that you need to go to a more privacy respecting email provider, like, say, away from Yahoo or Gmail or one of the more popular, quote unquote, free ones that we all know really aren't free. You're paying for it with your data. So let's say you've decided, fine, I, I agree. I need to go to a better, a better privacy respecting email service. Isn't that a real pain in the butt? Like, how do I even do that? So we're going to talk to Helen today about how to do that as well, including a really cool idea for picking an email address for the rest of your life and never, ever having to change it again, even if you wanted to change your email provider. So we'll talk about how that magic works uh, in today's second part of our interview with Helen Horseman Allen. Now, one more thing I want to talk about. Uh, please stay tuned to the end of the show for more details on this. Uh, I've decided to do an annual listener survey, and this is really important. Uh, once a year, I'm going to reach out and do a formal survey. And I would really, really love uh, as many of you to do that as possible. And I will be giving you an incentive to do so. So stay tuned at the end of the show for more details on that. But let's not waste any time. Let's get to part two of our interview with the COO of Fastmail, Helen Horseman Allen. <laughs> So far, we've basically focused on corporate surveillance, and uh, I realize that this is a whole different threat model, but certainly we talked about Snowden, too. So some people, like myself, are concerned about, you know, government surveillance, and maybe not targeted, but, you know, just kind of the, the blanket warrantless requests for law, from law enforcement or blanket mass surveillance. So from that perspective, how can, like, a privacy-oriented service address those kind of concerns? It's, I realize it's a different aspect, but can they solve the same problem? Absolutely. So let me preface this by saying I'm not a lawyer and I have never done law enforcement or security work. Right. But businesses operate in a legal environment and so do governments. Right. And businesses have the choice to push back. Right. And to push back more or less based on the, the requests they receive. Oftentimes, law enforcement will come to you and say, hey, can we just have this data? Right. And 
if you say, sure, no problem, they will just take it. And if you say, great, where's your warrant? They'll be like, oh, I'll come back to you later. <laughs> right? Like, right, right, right. They know the process. And, and, and sure, it would be easier to not have to do it. And I think the key step that most privacy pers- first providers provide is just saying, follow your own rules, right? Like, if you want data from us, that's fine. Go get a judge to tell us that you need it. Mm. Right? And, and that's the first simplest step. You know, and if you the more people who you have to convince that this data is necessary, uh, the more likely that it is, right? Like, if one person has bad judgment, or two people have bad judgment, right? Like, but like, as, as the number of people increase, the more eyes you have vetting this saying, okay, yeah, maybe this data really is necessary. Right. It's checks and balances, right? Right. All right. So one more kind of a deeply philosophical question, then we'll kind of get back to some more practical stuff. Um, uh-huh. You know, many governments around the world, including the US, the UK, Australia, Canada, you know, often called five eyes. I think New Zealand is one of those too. You know, they claim that in order to protect us properly to do their jobs, which they are, you know, they are tasked with making us, keeping us secure, that they need privileged access to our communications, that in order to achieve the security, that they need us to give up some privacy. So in your view, are those two things mutually exclusive? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> law and order is a really popular tactic to convince people of a lot of things, right? Like, who wants to help criminals? Nobody. Right, yes. um, but in Think a lot of, of the ways, children. Right, exactly. But in a lot of ways, it feels like a convenience measure for law enforcement, right? And, and it is a tool that's easy to imagine being misused, right? And so I I applaud when you see big companies like Apple say, no, we're not going to build these kinds of tools, right? Like use the tools you've already got. And I am also heartened by the growing number of advocates, activists, et cetera, who say that like we already have sufficient tools and and we're going to say that that's enough, right? Mm -hmm. It absolutely matters if people think that privacy matters, right? It absolutely is valuable for people to communicate that um, privacy has value to them, right? Because the flip side of this is that businesses have a lot to gain from not respecting your privacy. And so we're hard pressed to say, like people really care a lot about their privacy when all the time they're demonstrating that they don't, mm. right? And so, uh, you know, privacy does have to be important. And, and I'm really happy about the number of people who talk about it. So keep on talking. Yeah. Yeah, I totally right. agree. And, and yeah, you know, and, and participate in efforts to to hold uh, government accountable. Amen. All right. So let's uh, let's get back to the practical aspects. Uh, so let's say I've bought into the fact that I no longer want to use Google or Yahoo. And by the way, I still use both and I'm still extracting myself from both. Right. I, I must have I must have 20 email addresses at this point, uh, but I, I'm gonna, I'll get there. But for the for someone else out there who's been using Yahoo or Gmail all, all their lives, and they're thinking, well, you know, maybe I maybe I do want to, you know, put my foot down and switch to something. Um, there's a lot of logistical issues with that. And there's a reason a lot of people don't, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, most people have had that email address for years. So changing that, I mean, just changing your address means, you know, you've got to tell all of your contacts, your friends, family, you got to change your mailing list, Netflix, your bank, you know, all these people that have your email address, which is quite a few. So, you know, what would you say to convince someone that making that switch is worth all that effort? Okay. The first thing I will say is you don't have to do it all at once. And in fact, as you say, 
I also have a Gmail account. I have a Hotmail account, right? Like I have a million email addresses that I've never shut off, but I put very little through nowadays, right? So this is not an all or nothing proposition. It's not like one day you decide and and the next day no one will be able to contact you on that email address. But from a practical standpoint, the first thing I have to do is say, please get your own domain. Right. Yeah. Getting a personal domain costs twenty dollars a year. That's not nothing. But your email address is your core digital identity. Right. And in the same way that I think you should own your data. Right. I really also think you should own your digital identity. Right. No matter what um, company you're using to provide your email, if you own the domain, then you can move. Right. It's it's freedom, but it's really owning that really crucial part of yourself that you put out into the online world. The other thing is it enables some really cool features, right? So for instance, I have a whole bunch of personal domains, but some of them I use when I interact with businesses and I use catch-all aliasing for that, right? And so every single company that I engage with has a different email address to contact me, Mm -hmm. which means it's easy for me to tell who's sharing my email address. And it also makes it easy for me to say, please don't let any more mail from this come through, right? Like when I bought my car, The following week, I was like, okay, and I'm going to kill off the email addresses for all the other dealers that I didn't buy a car from because even though I told them I bought a car somewhere else, I had already gotten 10 emails that week. Yep. Like like what? I was going to buy two cars in two weeks, right? <laughs> right. But so if you have a domain, right, you're taking control of your digital identity, right? You could use that at your current provider, but it's also a really great time to think about getting a new provider. And we do make it really easy to come to us with your own domain, just move it in. We've got all kinds of cool tools on that. If that's too big of a decision though, you create a new account at a new place and you just forward the mail from the old one, right? You don't Mm. have to do anything the first day, the first week, right? You have as long as you want to change your email address out in the world, right? If at some point you decide that you're going to go cold Turkey and you want to cut off that old address, Sure. But realistically, how many people who email you there do you want to have emailing you there? Like a hundred? Maybe. Right? Like, and another 50 businesses. Right? So it does feel like a lot. You don't have to do it all at once. And you don't have to do it ever if you don't want to. Fastmail also makes it really, really easy to import mail from your address. And then we will ask you if you'd like to set it up so that you can keep sending mail from your old address for places where you need to. So... A lot of people who email services today aren't just email services. Like, for, look at Google. I mean, they've got so many different services. Outlook, too. And, and for that matter, iCloud. They're they're all kind of, they come with calendars and address books and online file storage and, and all of these other things as well. So, you know, really just further perpetuates the whole brand lock-in thing. So is it possible to replace those along with it? Like, Fastmail specifically, but in general, if I'm leaving Gmail, can I still find another service that will do not only mail, but Google Calendar and Google Contacts and and can I migrate the data? How hard is that? You can definitely migrate the data. Fastmail provides a great replacement for both calendars and contacts. We think that they're terrific. We're always working on making them better. Um, and we do have an easy migration tool. I would absolutely encourage people to check out No More Google. Mm. It's got a list of alternate providers for basically every service out there, like every service that Google provides, files, photos, et cetera. I will say that for a lot of our customers, one of the other things that they realize when they get off Google is 
they'd like to have their eggs in more baskets, right? Mm. Um, we saw this is this is a real old timey reference, but <laughs> we saw a lot of customers make that first realization about that problem with Google when Google launched Google Wave. And one of the changes they made to their terms of service when they launched Google Wave was you had to use your real identity. Mm. And so people who had been going by aliases or pseudonyms on the Internet suddenly found themselves locked out of not just Google Wave, but every single one of their Google services. Mm. Right. And because Google has no customer support, they, there was no way to get back in. Right. There was no way to appeal that decision. Right, yeah. I'd forgotten and, about that. Yeah, right. And so the the recognition that actually there's some value in saying I don't host all of my most crucial digital data yeah, with yeah. one provider and that it's worth spreading it around a little bit really came to the forefront as as part of that situation. So, I use Dropbox personally. I think it, you know, and we integrate with Dropbox. We we also integrate with Google Drive. You know, the file storage as an extension of your own computer is we have a very basic file storage thing, but it is not that extension of your computer kind of file storage. And that mm. has huge value for people. Um, you know, I host my photos on Flickr. You know, I look down the no more Google list one day. I'm like, oh, gosh, I use a surprising number of these services. Mm. <laughs> but they're, I mean, but they're terrific services. And often these are people who are specializing, right? Like specializing in providing that tool. So. All right. So let, let's address one other elephant in the room with something that everybody always brings up at this point, And that is. You know, many of these privacy-respecting email services, including Fastmail, charge a fee. There's a subscription fee, an ongoing cost to this, uh, while services like Google and Outlook and Yahoo are, you know, quote-unquote free. So, you know, how do you determine – how would a, a user, a listener in the audience, determine, you know, what is your privacy worth in monetary terms? I mean, it comes, it comes down to that. You know, what, and, you know, what other considerations might you make when you're doing this cost-benefit analysis? Yeah, I mean – Let's be clear. Free services aren't free because they cost zero to provide, right? They okay. don't cost you any cash because the provider's making a tremendous amount of money from your data, right? You only have to look at the stock value of Google to see how much mm. benefit they're getting from it. Right. Yep. Right? But they're not doing it as a public utility at, or as a no-cost service. And <laughs> right. like, and these providers kill off free services all the time, right? Last week, Google killed off Google right. Photos, yep. right? So like one cost-benefit analysis is about what's exposed if this data got monetized or disappeared or went out of business, right? So if something's important to you, it's, it's something to think about paying for, you know? And privacy shouldn't be a luxury good. But at the same time, paid providers typically include other features that may not scale for fee, fee providers, like, as I noted before, customer support, right? Like, right, sure. There's, there's absolutely trade-offs to using free versions of things. And so I think that that's a real reason why a lot of people end up choosing paid email providers is because email is really important to them. And as a result, they want to make sure that there's somebody available to them if there's an issue with it. Yeah, that's true, and that that I think that's something a lot of people do overlook, and and they do would appreciate if they knew what they were missing as as customer support because we I think we've kind of gotten used to all these free services and 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 not having customer support or having it be so impossible to access that it's effectively the same thing, and that is something I think a lot of people don't take into account. And something else, that, and I say this often on the show from a philosophical perspective, is that if you want more of these kind of services, if you want more privacy respecting services. Supporting any of them with money supports all of them in a way because it, it establishes a market for that and it tells the other people, including the people doing free services, that, hey, you know, people are actually willing to pay for this. And I, 
So for me, it's at a, at a metal level, even it's, it's important to find some of these things and invest in them a little bit because it, it comes back around in other ways. Absolutely. And I mean, I think, you know, going back to that advocacy question, right, the number of people using privacy driven services also are an indicator of the value of privacy in our society. Right. And so when you say, well, do people really value privacy? You know, it paying customers enable us to advocate for those rights. Yep. All right. So just to play devil's advocate here, how, how can an ordinary user really know that a service provider is doing what they promise. I mean, they say they respect your privacy, but at the end of the day, we have, don't we just have to go on what they're saying? I mean, is there any way to, you know, through a third party audit or is, is there any really, any real way for us to verify that the people that we are paying for our privacy are actually doing what they say they're doing? I've worked in privacy for a long time. And so like many people who care about privacy, I'm very skeptical, right? And so I work with a lot of technologists and they're like, well, let's think of a technical solution, right? Oh, we'll do third party audits. We'll have, you know, source code that's available for everybody. And to me, I'm like, yeah, but what if you just change everything, right? Mm. So to me, you know, privacy and trust is really a people problem. And how do you trust any group of people, business, government, et cetera. And the answer is, you know, with a grain of salt, right? Like you, you got to take it, take what they say, but then you've also, you know, got to have some level of skepticism. For me, the the best indicator of like, who's doing what they say they do is look at all the companies who have said one thing, and then we have a leak that shows that they were doing something totally different, right? Yeah, like yeah. The, the more you hold yourself out there, the more you invite that kind of scrutiny and, and also like people holding you accountable for it. So I, I don't think that there's a technical solution to the question of trust, right? And I think you always have to behave skeptically. But on the other hand, so many companies have been shown up. The fact that companies are out there and they still have a good reputation to me is a, is a great indicator that they probably are doing what they say they're doing. Yeah, I, but a buddy of mine always used to say, you know, you can't trust people, <laughs> you know, and yeah, so there, there's always that. Um, I, I, and I think too is, you know, while technical solutions are nice and neat and tidy, especially for technologists like myself and, you, and yourself, that some of it comes down to game theory too. And it gets to the, you know, making sure that people are actually properly incentivized to do it as well. Cause that's, you can more count on people's motivations that way, I think, but you know, that's a little harder to game. Absolutely. And, and we say that to people all the time, right? Like in some ways we're, we're proud to charge people for providing a good service, right? Because then we know we have to do a good job so that people will keep buying it and keep paying for it. Right. And if we were doing a bad job, we'd know because we were losing customers. Yep. All right. So wrapping up, uh, call to action and, and general info. What uh, what other general privacy tips might you have for the audience? Anything else, you know, any of your favorite tips you might want to pass along, you know, obviously beyond switching away from, you know, privacy hostile services like Google, which we've already talked about, and the, the one website you mentioned, which I will definitely put in the show notes. What other kind of, uh, what other tips might you have? What are some of your favorite things to say when someone comes to you and say, you know, how do I improve my privacy? I mean, hopefully this doesn't need to be said to any of your listeners, but if you're not using a password manager, please do me a favor and get on one today. I really love catch-all addresses because then not only are you using strong, unique passwords with your password manager, but you're also using unique usernames or logins. Mm -hmm. You know, when you talk about acute risks for most people, it, it is getting their account, their money, their identity stolen. And doing that is really one of the best protections you can give yourself. Uh, the other thing I would say is 
when talking about your privacy, often people don't give their own gut enough credit, right? Mm. I've gotten to talk to any number of people who have had, you know, a, a security or privacy issue within their company. And almost always it's, oh, you know, I, I could kick myself. I thought something seemed off about this, but I just mm. went ahead with it anyway. Right. And using your own good judgment and it, when in doubt, ask somebody, right? Like if you aren't sure, gut check with one other person is really, it's a gift you can give yourself very, very easily. You know, on, on a larger scale, I do think it's worth um, calling or emailing your your elected officials, especially when there's nothing going on and telling them it used to for <laughs> digital privacy, right? Because they hear about that issue never, right? So if they hear about it even once, it's like, huh, somebody out there cares about privacy. It means that they're getting some other data point that isn't industry or law enforcement when they hear about the right, topic. Right, right. Right? Yep. All right. Uh, how about uh, any other favorite resources? Do you have books or movies or websites that you like that, you know, when you, when you want to uh, ha have someone learn more about privacy or security? Uh, you know, I really, I did like The Social Dilemma. Mm -hmm. I think it, it was a really great opener uh, for people who maybe are less aware. And if you are very aware, you can just kind of skip ahead to the last half hour and, you know, see their tips. You know, checking the settings on all your existing software, often oh, hidden yeah. right there in the settings and preferences for things you already use are ways you could be um, taking more privacy back into your own hands. Uh, you know, and like, I guess the last thing is just thinking about what privacy is for, right? Like why you care. Mm. There's a lot of people out there who are trying to nudge you in certain directions. And you know, for me, it's a little bit about just like control and good habits, right? We really, in, in many ways, we live our lives in the margin, right? Like you become active or sedentary by making a series of small choices. You are well rested or sleep deprived by making a series of small choices. And thinking about who you give access to nudge you in which direction mm -hmm. versus like making your own choices and being deliberate about it is important to think about for yourself, right? Like, I think a lot about how I retain control of my time and my attention. You know, like, I still read a daily newspaper, because when you finish the paper, it's over, right? It's done. Mm. It's not the constant nonstop feed of somebody trying to direct <laughs> right. your energy somewhere else. Doom scrolling. Right, exactly right. You know, like I read Twitter through Tweetbot so I can see it mm. in, you know, in a, t in a chronological order, and I can filter it out and see things from my friends, things from people who contact me rather than somebody else's algorithm deciding what's important for me to see, right? So it's like going to the grocery store when you're hungry versus going to the grocery store after you've eaten and you have a grocery list, yeah, right? Like yeah. which one is likely to end up with you coming home <laughs> with the groceries that you want and then will be useful to you for the rest of the week? Right. Like that doesn't feel like an epic quest, right? Mm. It's like, oh, so it's just good hygiene and self-management. It's like, yeah. Yes, in a lot of ways. <laughs> right? Like most of us are not ever going to find ourselves as the protagonist of Enemy of the State. Right? right like right, right. Right? most of us are not in that kind of situation. This is really about like where you're being pushed and whether you've chosen to go there or, you know, somebody's pushing you there because they've got their own agenda. Very, very wise words spoken by somebody who's obviously been doing this for quite a long time. I'm so glad that our paths crossed and thank you so much for coming on the show, Helen. Thank you, Carrie. It was great talking with you.
Big thanks again to Helen for coming on the show. So glad our paths crossed and we managed to get her on here for an interview. That was some really, really cool info. And it's no joke. I mean, I, I, this is not an infomercial. I, I really do use Fastmail. And I used Fastmail before I met Helen. I did a lot of research on my own. And for, you know, most of what I do, Fastmail is perfect. Um, I still do use things like ProtonMail and Tutanota for my personal stuff. But for my business stuff, where I really need some, you know, capabilities for calendars and contacts and searching and filtering and all that kind of stuff, I found that Fastmail is a great solution for that. And now the moment we've all been waiting for, including yours truly, it is now, it's now Sunday, my time. Uh, so I now know who the winners are and now you will too. So we had 10 winners, uh, as you recall, all 10 winners will get a free PDF copy of my book, Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. And each winner will also receive a free one-year subscription to Malwarebytes. So that's really cool. Uh, so every one of the winners will get those things. And then we've got more prizes on top of that. So let's get to the winners. Drum roll, please. The winner of the Consumer Reports subscription is Adam Wilson. He entered on December 30th, and he entered by trying out my podcast. Uh, the Fastmail gift subscription will go to Tisha Oler. Sorry, I'm hopefully I get that right. O-E-H-L-E-R. She, I assume she, <laughs> entered on January 2nd by visiting my Facebook page. We've got three Proton Mail gift cards to give away, worth uh, enough to cover a standard subscription for one year. Uh, and they go to the following three people. Carol Cianelli. She entered on January 5th, and I think all she did there was enter the one mandatory question. So congratulations. You hit it on one go. The second one goes to Matt Toaz. Toaz? T-O-A-Z. Sorry if I'm butchering these names. I really am. He entered on, Met on December 29th uh, by signing up for the newsletter. And Michael or Michael uh, Manatitius? Oh, my gosh. I, I know I butchered that one. M-I-K-E-L-M-A-N-I-T-I-U-S. And he entered, he, I assume, sorry, I keep saying that, but I don't know. Don't want to make any bad assumptions uh, on January 14th by following me on Twitter. So all three of you will get, in addition to all the stuff that everybody gets, we'll get a ProtonMail gift card. And now for the physical things, the things will actually be shipped. First of all, the four book A-Press bundle will go to Darius Mishler. And I looked you up, I think on Twitter and it said something about professor. So maybe a professor Darius. Anyway, Darius Mishler, uh, he entered on January 16th by retweeting uh, about the contest. And the signed book, uh, Attack Surface by Corey Doctorow, that will be shipped to Will Griesmer. Griesmer? Griesmer? Uh, you entered on December 29th by retweeting my tweet. The signed copy of my book, plus some cool DuckDuckGo socks, is Christopher Harner. You entered on January 16th by visiting my Facebook page. And now for the big two, at least, at least in terms of dollar value... Uh, we've got the Winston Privacy Box that comes with a free one-year subscription. That will go to Matthew Guarnera, G-U-A-R-N-E-R-A. You entered on January 3rd by signing up for the newsletter. And the big one, as far as, again, dollar value, is the Librem 5 Linux smartphone. And that goes to, drumroll please, Ben Smith. Now, I know it's a pretty common name, so if there's a lot of Ben Smiths out there, I hope I didn't get the wrong person's hopes up. But you will all find out today via email, so you'll know by the end of the day that you were the actual winner. Ben entered on December 29th by trying out this podcast. And I will say he did it by correctly entering my catchphrase. And I'll tell you why I mentioned that in a second. So congratulations to all of you. And thanks again to everybody who entered. We had a whole bunch of entries this time around. It was, I'm sure, because the quality of the prizes was way through the roof. So thank you very much to everybody who entered. Congrats to all the winners. Now, a couple of notes about the contest that I thought you might find interesting. At least I found interesting. Uh, so 
when you do this thing through Rafflecopter, I was able I was able to download the list of all the entries, and so I got to see how everybody entered and what they you know like some of the things require proof of entry. And, you know, like if you said that you tried out my podcast, you had to, you know, had to write down what my catchphrase is and, you know, and things like that. So I actually just quickly reviewed some of that. And I got to see where some of the people said they were from. And even though I think, at least according to this, all the winners were from the USA, we had people enter from all over the planet, which is so, so cool. Uh, we had people from France and Ireland and the UK, Canada, Poland, Egypt, India. That's, that is so awesome. I'm so glad to know that this is making a impressions all around the globe. That is, that is great. I know that I tend to focus a lot on U.S. stuff based here, but I am very truly cognizant that my listeners are everywhere. I got a couple of other interesting comments too. Either people wrote in things in these spaces that where they were supposed to put other things, they wrote a comment. That was, thought that was kind of odd. For instance, somebody asked me why I didn't use Mastodon. And actually, I do use Mastodon. <laughs> I just didn't figure most of my audience did. I guess maybe, maybe that was a poor assumption. But for those of you who don't know, Mastodon is sort of a decentralized and private or non-invasive, at least, version of Twitter. And I am, in fact, on Mastodon. In fact, when you fill out uh, the listener survey, which I'll talk about in a minute, you'll find out exactly where to find me there. And if you go to my uh, website, of course, all that information is there, too. Somebody else complained about uh, me using Facebook. And, I, dude, I totally get it. I hate Facebook. You all know that I hate Facebook. But, again my philosophy is basically this. My, I am trying to reach as many people as possible, and I'm trying to reach the people who need to understand how to make themselves more secure and more private. And so, unfortunately, the way that is today, you got to go where those people are. So, I hey, I, I quit Facebook years ago, and, I, you know, on principle, and I still don't like to be there. But, unfortunately, there's 2 billion-plus people on Facebook and they, they need to know this stuff too. So at least until there are better alternatives, I will still need to be using some of these social media sites that I do not like myself. The other funny thing I noticed is that obviously there were some bots that were filling out these forms because they were filling in kind of junk or random information or information that looks, was like, looked like a total guess. So that's kind of a drag. There's obviously some services out there that try to auto enter people into these contests. But I also noticed that some people obviously hadn't heard my podcast, but still tried to guess anyway. And they just tried to guess what my catchphrase was. That was kind of humorous. Anyway, so that was just a little background information that I thought was humorous about uh, about this contest. I want to send out a big, big thanks again to all the people that participated, all the companies that sent in prizes. Todd Weaver, the CEO of Purism. Rich Stokes, the CEO of Winston Privacy. David Reese from Malwarebytes. My wonderful, wonderful editor, Susan McDermott from APRESS. Corey Doctorow, of course. Bia from DuckDuckGo, Dr. Andy Yen, the CEO of Proton Mail, Ben Moskowitz from Consumer Reports, and of course, Helen from FastMail. My deepest appreciation for making this such a successful and big time giveaway. Okay, now uh, I've got some great shows coming up. We're gonna we're gonna be doing a news show next week, and it also will be corresponding with Data Privacy Day, January twenty eighth every year is Data Privacy Day. We're going to have some really cool ideas for helping to protect your privacy. And I also have a blog entry for this. So you, if you're on the newsletter, you'll see some of this as well. Uh, but we'll be talking about it here on the show next week. And we're also going to talk about, you know, obviously what the news that's been going on for the past couple of weeks, including, you know, the security aspects of the breach of the U.S. Capitol building. There was a lot of computers in there and other sensitive materials. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about that for sure. And after that, I've got some really cool interviews coming up uh, in February. Now, uh, one more thing, uh, 
for those of you who are patrons or maybe thinking about becoming patrons, I'm going to be I'm going to be doing some really cool new stuff uh, for my patrons on Patreon. You know, now that I'm semi-retired, I've really focus on this. I've decided I really want to kick that up a bunch of notches and, and add some really valuable stuff there. And part of it's going to be some of the behind the scenes stuff for those of you interested in what it's like to do a podcast and or at least what it's like for me doing this podcast. There's there's a lot to it. And and I think you actually will find it interesting. So I'm going to be doing some kind of behind the scenes stuff, some, you know, director's cut kind of stuff. Probably going to put together a little making of, you know, video that you, that, you know, my patrons will be able to see, you know, you'll see my studio, you'll see, you know, how I, how I do what I do, how I do all the editing and all that kind of stuff. There's, there's, a, there's a lot to it. I've got some really cool ideas for some swag that I'm going to be uh, giving away and some collectible stuff. So it's, it's going to be off the hook. So, so just stay tuned for that. I'll be announcing that probably, hopefully next month, but if you want to get in now, you're welcome to, I'm going to be uh, announcing that there. But anyway, what led me to talk about this was, um, one of the things I'm going to start doing is sharing more and more information with the patrons, uh, kind of sneak peek information. So I've got two interviews in the books right now. Uh, but if you're a patron, I'm going to tell you who they are and when I'm interviewing them. And, uh, I'm going to give patrons at a certain level, a chance to even suggest questions for those people before the interview. So you can actually give me some ideas of stuff you might want to, uh, to ask those people and have direct input on these interviews. So anyway, it's still in the works, but there's a lot of great stuff and I will definitely be announcing all those details in the, in the coming weeks. So stay tuned. All right. Finally, I did mention the survey. Uh, I'm going to do this every year, probably in January. And this is super, super important because, you know, it helps me to help you. For me to really provide the most value to you in this podcast, which I truly want to do, I need to know about my audience. I need to know who you guys are. I need to know, you know, where you come from, figuratively and literally. I need to know some kind of, you know, basic demographic information about you. But I also, you know, want to know, you know, what kind of devices you use at home on a regular basis. What kind of things, you know, keep you up at night. What, you know, what, what you're worried about. What kind of topics you want me to cover. You know, what you like about the show. What you, what you maybe would like to change about the show all sorts of stuff. So it, it's really, really helpful. And it just helps me to help you. So if you get a chance, please, please fill out that survey to do it. Uh, you go to bit.ly slash firewalls dash survey dash 2021. That's a capital F and firewalls and everything else is lowercase. And it's bit.ly. Of course, this will be in the show notes. But one more time, it's bit.ly slash firewalls with a capital F dash survey dash 2021. I'm going to keep it open probably through the end of January. So you got about two more weeks to fill that out. You will notice, <laughs> you will notice that I used Google forms. Uh, I really, really, really tried to avoid that. I've used survey monkey for many years and they were, they were actually very good, but they started charging for stuff that was free before. And I, unfortunately I just can't afford their four pay tiers of service. And that's true with so many of these products and, you know, and, when, when, and if I manage to get more patrons, then I can start doing more of those things. But unfortunately, Google forms had what I needed. And so I had to use Google. I, I apologize for that. I tried using Microsoft forms and it was just horrible. So anyway, regardless, please fill that out. I guess I'm a little sensitive about, <laughs> about using Google after some of the comments I received from the, uh, from the contest, but you got to do what you got to do, right? I will, by the way, share the, you know, kind of general high-level results. Uh, anything interesting that I get out of that survey, I'll share that with you guys when the time comes. Okay, everybody, thanks so much for hanging in. Congratulations again to all the winners. Thanks again to Helen Horsemallon for coming on for this wonderful interview and, of course, contributing to the contest. Check me out on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, LinkedIn, Mastodon. You can find me on Goodreads. You can find me all over the place. My website has links to all that stuff. 
Still looking for more great reviews on the book and the podcast. If you get a chance, I'd love that too. So there we have it, folks. Take care. Stay safe. Uh, This next week is going to be tense in the United States, unfortunately. So just another reason just to stay home. Be on the lookout for when you're going to get your shot. Sign up for it. Get those shots in your arms. Get two doses. And if we're lucky, maybe by the summer, things can start getting back to normal. So take care, everybody. Stay safe. And until next week, as always, don't get caught with your drawbridge down. Thank you.